Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. And I tell you what, I just love gathering together on Sunday mornings as we make much of Jesus together. You know, last night, I gathered in a little bit of a different kind of gathering. I needed to relive a little bit of my youth. And so me and my wife got out into some cold weather with a few other people. And man, I spent the whole night just singing. Y- y'all ever just spent a whole night singing somewhere? And you know what, you know what amazes me? That there's probably around 85,000 other people there with us. And not a person there paid to hear me sing or cared a lick if I sung at all. But this morning, just mentioning his name, just the thought of him, and Jesus gives us his attention. He hears our song. He listens to our Our prayers just blows my mind. What he does as we gather together. You know what's amazing about that? It could be just us. It could be just you at your home. It it could be in the workplace. It could be in your school. And he just, he hears us. Nobody in that stadium last night wanted to hear Anthony Kendall sing. But you know what today he did. I don't know, just blows my mind. I've, I've had a couple of, of pretty incredible weeks. In fact, I'm just coming in out of the DR this past week, the Dominican Republic. And man, I had an incredible, incredible time there. What we're doing is, is we are sharing all of our partnerships to our neighborhood to nations, meaning this, how is God going to use Connect Church in through missions throughout the world. And one of the places we focused in on through Compassion International is the Dominican Republic. Now I know what you're thinking. You went down to the Caribbean and there was an ocean and there was pools there and a great, listen, I never stepped foot in a pool or an ocean. I made my own pools and oceans, right? I had to walk around slums and jeans. It was just unbelievable experience, but I got to introduce you to somebody. Let me grab my remote here real quick. And I think we've had a little technical dig post. Let's see if I can get this up. Oh, this, listen, this is Eliani. So my wife and I and our kids, we sponsor a, a child in the Dominican Republic. And you really ever wonder, are they real? Like, is that really their picture? And you know what? Ours was. And so on Thursday, this little girl was bussed in from her, her neighborhood, her, her slum. And she was brought to the hotel where a bunch of us pastors were. And you know what? We got to sit down the whole day and color. That's all she wanted to do. We bought her coloring books and crayons and she has never owned anything like that. In fact, when she started coloring, she colored one page, shut the book and put the crayons back. And I said, what are you doing, sweetheart? She, and she thought, that's all she could do. It wasn't her book. It wasn't her crayon. So she could color one page. I said, no, we bought you all of them in America. And we brought them to you, right? You can have whatever you want, but just an incredible opportunity to spend. Listen, over the next couple of months, you are going to see how God is going to use you, how God is going to use Connect Church from our neighborhood 
to the nations and a part of that you'll hear more about in the coming months. I wanna share with you a story as we kick off our message today. And I'll never forget it, well, unless you guys were there, Coach Hirsch, you were there. Um, Back in 2000, the Sevier County Smoky Bears got to play in the state championship game. And I'll never forget that we had a pep rally right before we were to head out to Nashville. In 99, 2000, we had this pep rally in the gymnasium at Sevier County High School. And as the team walked in, y'all remember, it was amazing. The place was packed. And as soon as we came in, I noticed that everybody in the house was standing to their feet and cheering us on. It was unlike anything I'd ever been a part of until we got to our charter buses that were gonna head to Nashville and we began to drive around the parking lot and coach, you remember this? Thousands of people came to the parking lot and as our buses drove through the parking lot, they were cheering us on to their feet, standing ovation, cheering on the Smoky Bears as we were gonna go play in Nashville. Now, I'll never forget the stadium that day. I thought, man, who, who's crazy enough to make the drive out to Nashville for a football game? And man, Sevier County was. There were thousands of people in the stands as soon as we took the field, stood to their feet, a standing ovation, cheering us on. And hey, listen, when we won the state championship game, we had multiple appearances as a team throughout our county and everywhere we went, people would stand to their feet and they would cheer us on. I'm gonna be honest, I loved it. (laughs) I loved it. It was incredible. Now as we begin to turn to the word, when someone competes, when someone's in the game, there is nothing better than a standing ovation, an honor paid to the work that, that you and I have accomplished. But hear me, when it comes to faith, There is one standing ovation that matters the most. And I'll be honest, one that I long for the most. And here in scripture today, Stephen gets such an ovation. He gets it. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter six. And here's where we're gonna camp out today. You ready? That bold leaders live for the standing ovation. Now, now don't judge me just yet, but hear me. Bold leaders live for the standing ovation. We're gonna unpack that together. Now, we've been in a pretty incredible place uh, in scripture here in the book of Acts, gospel at work, as Luke is writing Theophilus and telling him and chronicling the explosion of this young church on the scene in Jerusalem. Boldness is a common theme in these chapters. The Greek word parousia means this, a willingness for one to engage in an activity that involves risk or danger. But hear me, boldness goes much further than just our speech. But boldness speaks to the way that you and I live our lives. And here's been kind of the challenge, that the boldness begins by choosing boldness no matter the cost. That boldness builds by being with Jesus. That boldness bows to none but Christ. That boldness doesn't just happen, it is prayed for and it's acted upon. And lastly, that boldness can't just sit around. I mean, there's been some incredible challenges about boldness that have risen up here in our study of the book of Acts. But today we find yet another challenge of bold leadership, biblical bold leadership in the life of the believer. Now, we've got to remember what this is. By the way, there's our state championship team. Don't you love that? 
It's our trophy. That's me. I look exactly the same. Anyway, okay, here we go. Bold leadership lives for the standing ovation. You say, well, Anthony, what do you mean by bold leadership? You ready? It is leveraging our influence to love people in Christ, to serve people for Christ, and to influence people to Jesus. Man, a bold leadership lives for the standing ovation. Last week, Lucas, he's writing Theophilus and Acts. He zeroes in on this testimony in the life of Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And what we see here in the latter part of Acts chapter six and into Acts chapter seven is that we continue to watch his life play out in the scripture. Last week, here's what we found out about Stephen. We found him to be a man who couldn't just sit around while widows were not being taken care of. And this morning, we see yet again in his life, we find a man in Stephen who cannot stay quiet when truth is demanded to be spoken by his circumstances. Stephen, even unknowingly, is living for the standing ovation here in Acts chapter six and in Acts chapter seven. You ready? Bold leaders in Christ do the very same. So let's begin jumping in scripture here, beginning in verse eight. The Bible says this, and Stephen, hey, by the way, you know what his name means? A crown. Stephen, full of grace and power. By the way, wisdom. We find many, the Holy Spirit. Man, he is so full of Jesus. And that he's got all of Jesus. He's got all of Jesus he's ever gonna need. And it's just pouring out of him. The Bible says this, and he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. What's unique here is that in Acts, we only find this ascription, doing great signs among the people and wonders, only given to Christ and the apostles. And yet now this conversation is in the context of someone who comes from within the church. It's just a church member and we find that this is his testimony. I love what I've heard said, that the first reformation of the church with Martin Luther was a movement to give the word of God back to the people. The second reformation in which you and I are living in now is to give ministry back to the people. And we see that clearly here in Acts chapter six. Now here's what we begin to notice, you ready? That opposition begins to stir up. Hey, can I just remind you that every time God moves, there is opposition that stirs to it. There's opposition that rises up. I'm gonna tell you something. The most uncomfortable I ever find myself is when there's not opposition stirring up around me because I begin to wonder, am I doing anything for him? But we begin to see opposition stirring. Look what the Bible says here as we go on. That some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freed men, now we're beginning to talk about different group of Jewish be uh, believers um, in their Jewish faith in the city of, and around the city of Jerusalem. This is the synagogue of the freed men, as it is called. That means this, that probably these men were once slaves and now under the rule of Rome, they are no longer slaves. And then we see the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from different parts of Asia. Now watch, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. That word carries with it the idea that they begin to debate with Stephen. They begin to argue against him, but they, and I love this in verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. There was not a person in the crowd 
who could argue in any intelligible way, in any successful way against the claims of the gospel and the truth of the gospel that Stephen's preaching, that he believes. Guys, we're talking a church member before religious leaders and they can't hold a candle to him. Now catch this, in the crowd and as I believe, maybe the initial instigator, maybe the man the most outspoken in this scene that's playing out is a man by the name of Saul, who later on in Acts, we're gonna find out, has some pretty incredible debating skills. And yet even this man by the name of Saul couldn't hold a light, to see, couldn't debate him, couldn't find any success against him. And you may be going, Anthony, now where's this message going? Because you know, the truth is, is I can't argue for Jesus much. And I'm not good at, at taking a stand for Christ. I'm not good at, I'm not a debater when it comes to faith. And here's what I wanna say, guys, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you know that each of us are excellent debaters when it comes to things that we have a passion for and a knowledge of. You and I are experts in areas that we have a passion for and a knowledge of. So let me, let me show this to you. Man, there's some of you out there that are ESPN and sports people. You know who you are, right? You love it. You know every stat that there is for your team, for your players. You can recite those right now. You can go on for hours about why your team should be higher in its standings, right? Man, you can debate all day when it comes to sports. I like it too. You ready? There's those of you out here who are political people. That means this, you know your politics. People are pointing out people. Hey, by the way, we encourage that. Um, you're political people, meaning this, if you're a Republican, you know why you are and you're proud of it. If you're a Democrat, you know it, you're proud of it. And here's the deal, your candidate, you know everything about their life, everything about their policies, you know how they think, you know why they should be the best of the best and in the position you want them to be. Man, you are an excellent debater when it comes to your politics. I look around the room and I think, there's some people here who are car people. You know who you are. You could spend the next two hours telling me why a Ford is better than a Chevy. And for us Chevy owners, we can go out and drive our vehicle and prove to you why a Chevy's better than a Ford, right? You car people can debate. You can argue which brand is better. You mamas. When it comes to parenting technique, you may not argue about many other, you know how to raise a baby. You know the best way to raise a baby and you can fight with the best of them on the best parenting techniques. I think about those of you who are out there, you fitness people, which I am one of, <laughs> recovering. Anyway, you can argue diets, exercises, fitness plans. You can tell us which is the best way to go and why. You, we got vegetarians in the crowd. And man, you're gonna fight for why we should not eat meat. By the way, I'm a recovering vegetarian and I'm doing well. Um, you, you can fight, listen, here's the truth. If I could get us to a place where you and I talk as passionately 
about Jesus. As we do our sports, our politicians, our parenting strategies, our car brands, our diets, our love of meat. And here's what I often wonder. How much of Sevier County would be lost today? We can debate anything that one, we are passionate about and two, that we pursue knowledge of. And here I find anyone who is willing to take a stand for Christ and his gospel will do so when he is our passion and you and I pursue more and more the knowledge of who he is through his word, through prayer, and through walking with him. You know what I see in the life of Stephen? I I see a guy who's passionate about his faith in Jesus and who spent his life wanting to know him more. And the Bible says that even in the midst of that, we still see opposition still stirring. Hey, they couldn't out-debate him. And now they turn to the tactics of those always with the lesser argument. And here's what the Bible says, you ready? Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Hey, by the way, that phrase right there, them fighting words, right? You, you know, this is a heavy charge. These are fighting words. They words against Moses and God and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. This is the third of four times that Christ followers would stand before the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts. Hey, by the way, does this scenario sound at all familiar to you? You ever remember hearing of someone else who kind of was treated the exact same way? In the gospels, here's what we find, that this is how they treated Jesus. First, they hired false witnesses to testify against him. Second, they stirred up the people who accused him of attacking the law of Moses and the temple. And finally, after witnessing or listening to his witness, they executed him. Sound familiar? I love this about Stephen. Every glimpse into his life that you and I get, he looks like Jesus. He talks like you. He's living like you. And I hope every time my wife gets a glimpse into my life, I remind her of him. As my kids take glimpses into my life, I hope they'll see him. When you guys, my people, my church, you'll see glimpses of him in my life. This community will see glimpses of Jesus. We see that in the life of Stephen. Now, I want us to do something real quick. I usually don't hop around much, but I want us to go to verse 15. And then we'll come back to verse 13. And watch this. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of of an angel. You know what they're talking about here? His countenance, all 71 men who would sit on the council of the Sanhedrin, although they were arguing against him, although they were seeking to condemn him, they looked at his face and they couldn't get over his countenance. 
You know, when someone loves Jesus as much as Stephen does, you know that you can see it all over their face, don't you? No, no matter the season. In the good, in the bad, and in the ugly. Man, when you're filled with Jesus as Stephen is, you can see him all over your face. Two weeks ago, I was in the last day of my time in, in Israel. And as I shared with you, I think last week, I, I was introduced to two mid-20-something young ladies who were serving in Gaza, in a place where the church is heavily persecuted. You do not convert from Islam to Christianity in Hamas-controlled territory. I met with them. And for the couple of hours that I was with other pastors and we were asking the questions, we, we got done meeting with them, we prayed over them, we, we sent them out again. And, and I, I remember talking with the other pastor. Here's the first thing I said. I said, guys, did y'all see it? They're like, what? I said, their countenance. I said, fellas, I don't even ever say that word. But they're, they're I could tell they loved him. It's all over their face. Just a couple of days ago, I stood in the slums of the Dominican Republic. There at a church, surrounded by houses that were put together with scrap metal and scrap wood. No indoor plumbing, no indoor electricity. Poverty of families living on less than $1.90 a day. And I stood there and I thought, this is the greatest amount of physical poverty I've ever laid my eyes on. Yet something was different. For when the pastor walked in the room and when his church members walked into the room, somebody forgot to tell them how poor they were. Because when I looked at their face, I saw the joy of Jesus. I saw him all over their faces. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? Maybe just maybe there is something far greater than the physical poverty I was seeing and that was spiritual poverty, but Jesus was the answer to every person I came in contact with at that church. Their countenance screamed that they were filled with Jesus. And Stephen is in this very same place. You know, there's not many times where people come up to me and say, you have the face of an angel. <laughs> Although my wife does. She's in the service. I love you, baby. Anyway, okay. We had a special moment at the concert last night. Anyway, it was great. Here's what, here's what I find. When you and I are full of Jesus, it's not hard to see. I love this. It goes around on Facebook every so often. I've heard it said, I want to be so full of Jesus that when a mosquito bites me, when it flies away, it sings, there's power in the blood. You know what? I don't need a mosquito to say that, but I need people to see that in my life. And we see that with Stephen. Can I ask you a question, church? Can you see him in your face? Is Christ in your countenance? When you and I find ourselves full of other things, by the way, I'm fixing to show you the difference between the world and what scripture says Stephen was full of. So you're gonna see an incredible contrast here. When you and I find ourselves full of things such as 
foolishness rather than wisdom, which Stephen was full of. When you and I find ourselves full of powerlessness rather than power, faithlessness rather than faith, selflessness rather than the Holy Spirit, and bitterness rather than grace, we know this. When we find ourselves full of all these other things, that is not who we really are in Christ. It's just what we've become as we've spent time apart from him. That's what, what happens when we walk and we put some distance in our relationship with him. But remember this about bold leaders. You ready? They live for the standing ovation. And that only comes when we are full of Christ. Bold leaders live for a standing ovation. You ready? And you can see it all over your face. We see that in the life of seed. Here's what else we find out. You ready? That as opposition begins to stir, the opportunity opens for the gospel. When opposition stirs, the opportunity for the gospel is opened up. We see it with Peter and John in Acts 3 and 4. We saw it played out in Acts chapter 5. That God uses opposition as a platform, as a stage to show off the gospel. I wonder if we left here today as believers, and we decided that when opposition arises this week in our life, rather than seeing it as oppression, we treat it as an opportunity for the gospel and to make much of Jesus. Watch what happens here as we see Stephen's story change. The Bible says that they, jumping back to verse 13, produce false witnesses who testify. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. Hey, by the way, let me just, let me help your marriage out. Stop dealing in hyperbole. Someone doesn't always do this or never do that, right? It's always a weaker side of the argument. We see that here in the scripture, in any relationship we have, be careful, be careful about using hyperbole. It's like Aaron saying, he always eats bacon. That's not true, mostly, right? Or, or he never eats a salad. I, I have fallen into a salad before, right? And so we have to be careful in our relationships by using hyperbole. And we find that, remember, again, the weaker side here throws it out there. It's all they can hold on to. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. The Washington Post has a famous column. It's a fact checker. And what they do is they, they look at political statements and they give them a series of Pinocchio faces. You know, Pinocchio with the long nose. And it talks about how much of their statement was true. Trust me, they love our dear president, right? They, they do this all the time with him. And if you get four Pinocchios, that means you are just outright lying. I look at these statements and these charges against Stephen here, and here's the deal. Fact check it, they are not true. Four Pinocchios are given to this council, to this angry mob. And here's what we know, Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple in Luke 21, five through six, but he never said that he would do it himself. In fact, the Romans took care of that sometime later in AD 70. 
Jesus didn't change the law. He didn't come to abolish the law. In fact, he fulfilled the law and all its requirements on our behalf. The charges with him were bogus as they were with Jesus, as they were with Peter and John. And I love what it says here in Acts chapter seven, verse one. And then the high priest, who by the way, um, really bad at his job, said this, are these things so? Stephen, give me your defense. Are these things so? And here's what we begin to see take shape. That Stephen launches into the longest recorded sermon in all of Acts. A sermon that would propel the gospel outside of the Jewish faith into the world. Stephen offers no legal defense for himself. Rather, he goes on the offense for truth and the gospel. And he culminates his message. Hey, by the way, your homework, Acts chapter 7 up until verse 51, which I'm fixing to show you, okay? Go back and read his sermon. Y'all think I'm hard sometimes. Read that, guys. Listen to how he ends it. I'm gonna start ending my sermons this way too, by the way. You're welcome. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcising your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. I'll be honest with you. Stephen can go there. Why? Because he's speaking truth on behalf of the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, who, by the way, you've now betrayed and murdered. You received the laws delivered by angels. And he says, you did not keep it. Stephen deals a heavy-handed rebuke to all 71 of the men of the Sanhedrin who he stood before who were following the rebellious patterns of their forefathers in resisting the Holy Spirit, which culminated in the murder of the righteous one. Just as they had rejected Moses, they have now rejected the Messiah, who's Jesus Christ. But I love this. If you look at verse 51, in it contains the language of the Old Testament. And here's what that formula looks like. You ready? What Stephen is doing here is as he closes out, he is calling the angry mob to repentance. You're, are you ever really just so mad and somebody says to you, calm down, and it makes you even matter? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, you want to make me mad? If I'm upset, you tell me to calm down? Oh, no, you didn't. I mean, that's exactly the effect of Stephen's sermon here. In verse 54, Listen to this play out. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Have you ever had somebody so mad at you that they ground their teeth at you? Is my mom in here? Oh, hey, listen, y'all don't tell her this. When I was younger, my mom would get so mad at us. She would grind her teeth. She would do this. She'd, she'd purse her lips. She'd grind her teeth. And then she had a special voice and language that she could speak through her teeth. One of the most terrifying sights in all of mankind. But the counseling has helped. Listen, as we begin to talk about when you start grinding your teeth, dude, there's, some, there's some anger issues here. And we see that in the life of these people. Don't tell my mom that, okay? Scrub that off our live stream. Here we go. Instead of being terrified, however, Stephen is transfixed on Jesus. Watch what the Bible says. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, and I love this, 
I tell you, sometimes I just play that game. What scene would I like to go back to in the Bible? I just love thinking of that sometimes. And honestly, how cool would it have been to have stood by him and, and to look in the very same window into heaven he gets to look through. And it says that he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing, standing at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1, 3, Psalm 110, other places in the Bible, always put Jesus seated at the right hand of God, yet for the first time, he stands. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open. This is Stephen and the Son of Man, a Daniel reference to the Messiah, the coming one, standing at the right hand of God. Church, here it is. The standing ovation. Not by the crowd, not by the council, not by even the church, but by the creator of the heavens and the earth, by the king of kings, by the promised Christ all throughout scripture is seated at the right hand of the Father, yet he now stands in his approval, in his applause, at the boldness of Stephen's faith. Can I ask you a question? Again, whose approval are you seeking? Whose applause do you long most to hear? I'll tell you what I find out in my life. The persons who applause, I wanna hear is the person that I live for. The persons whose approval I seek the most is the one determines how I live my life. And for Stephen, that person was Jesus. That's the standing ovation that bold leaders live for. But not only does Jesus here applaud and approve Stephen's faith, he stands to welcome him home. Watch this in verse 57. Let's see if I can get it up here. You ready? But they cried out with a loud voice, and stop their ear. You ever have one of your kids put their fingers in their ears? And I don't want to do da, 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 da. I do that sometimes to my wife. Anyway, listen, it is an immature, undisciplined way to handle things that you don't want to hear. Hey, by the way, we live in a culture that does that all the time. Then they cast him out of the city and they stone him. About two weeks ago, I took this picture um, with my cell phone, and it's a terrible picture. Uh, but this right here are part of the walls of Jerusalem, and this is a gate, and this is traditionally called Stephen's Gate. It's a beautiful gate. In fact, I have a little bit better of a close-up picture here, and you can see it. It's really, it's really one of the more beautiful gates. Now, there's some more that, that are prettier, but a really cool gate into the city walls of Jerusalem that still stands. After he left the Sanhedrin, under arrest and in the hands of an angry mob, 
they marched him out of this gate down into the Kidron Valley where depending on the method they chose that day, they probably pushed him down off of a small cliff. And as he would try to stand and gather himself, the men would take off their robes. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, there are rocks everywhere. And the men would pick up large rocks and they hurled them down on Stephen. It was a community effort. That's why stoning was used. Not one person was the executor, the community was. They were purging themselves and they would throw stones. It was a slow, violent, a terrible way to die. And Stephen, as he goes to stand to his feet, listen to what scripture teaches of Stephen's response to this stoning. And as they were stoning him, not before, but as this was happening, imagine as rocks are hitting his body, as blood's trickling down his face, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Hey, does that sound familiar? And falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Gosh, I, I feel like I've heard that before. And when he had said this, the Bible says that he fell asleep. As Jesus stands, Stephen sleeps. I love this picture of death. You say, well, Anthony, what does Stephen's death ha have to do with me? I, I can't imagine going to the Sevier County Courthouse, then pushing me off the chimneys and chunking rocks at my head. I, I won't die a death like him more than likely. Since when was there ever the death of a believer that wasn't in the line of duty? Think of that. Who dies in Christ, whether it's by the design of madmen, whether it's by disease, who dies in Christ and by doing so doesn't die in the very line of duty that Christ in, in Matthew chapter 28 and Acts chapter 1, 8, who does not die that is in Christ in the line of duty? Hear me. When we are living for his applause and his approval, no matter the means of your death or mine, we all will die in the line of duty. Listen to what scripture says about Stephen's death and ours. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So as Jesus stands, Stephen sleeps. It's a beautiful, it's a perfect picture of Stephen's soul that is alive in Christ. And when Jesus comes again one day, his body will wake and be united with his soul to live forever glorified in Christ. But by the way, not just the promise of Stephen, but every one of us who are in Christ today. Both leaders live for the standing ovation, the approval, the applause of one, and that is Jesus. You know what we long to hear? Matthew 25 Verse 21, what I promise you Stephen heard that day, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Guys, I'm gonna tell you something. If Jesus can say that about me at the end of my day, my wife will be able to say that. My kids will be able to say that. My church family will be able to say that. This community will be able to say that. I desire his applause, his approval. When you hear this truth, and we're, we're kind of cutting across the field here. God never wastes the blood of his martyrs. And he never wastes the work of his saints. Stephen's physical death brought about spiritual life for so many. When we come back to our study, we will see such impact. But look at one verse I skipped. And the witnesses laid down their garments. Remember, you can't throw stones good if you're weighed down by clothing. At the feet of a young man named Saul. God never wastes the blood of his martyrs, the work of his saints. We come back to Acts in January. We're fixing to transition into our Christmas series, a vintage Christmas. We're gonna preach the Christmas story through the Old Testament be really fun. But we stop here, why? Because now we see that this singular event propels the gospel outside of Jerusalem into the world. And we go through a different stage in the subsequent chapters. Judea to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, Jesus said. And so we come back in, in, in January and we continue in Acts chapter eight. And what we're gonna see is how God did not waste Stephen's life or death that day and the impact it had on this guy, which by the way, spoiler alert, has a lot to do with the rest of the book. God never wastes the blood of his martyrs, the work of his saints. Hey, by the way, Acts chapter seven, be thankful because this was the very event that allows the gospel to be here with us today. Pushes it outside the city. 1948, a missionary martyr by the name of Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, I think I have a picture of him. Listen to what he wrote in his journal. He said, I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Hey, you know how much better life would be if we didn't worry so much about how long our life was, but how full it is of Jesus. And he says this, two years later, he wrote in that very same journal, he said, I must not think it strange if God takes in youth those whom I would have kept on earth until they were older. And he wrote this down, just a weird use of words. God is peopling eternity. <laughs> and I must not restrict him to old men and women. Like Stephen, this young man, would find himself and his four friends on January 8th, 1956, desperately trying to reach a native tribe of Indians with the gospel. He found himself peopling eternity as they were killed at the hands of the very tribe they were trying to reach. What's amazing is, is to this day, that their death 
became the seed of the gospel. Their families and other missionaries went to that tribe of Indians. And today there are believers and churches among a people who knew nothing of Jesus. I love Revelation 2.10. Be faithful unto death, Jesus says, and I will give you the crown of life. Stephen, whose name means crown, Brother Elliot, here on this very day, adorn a crown of life. And so here's my three closing challenges. You ready? Live for the standing ovation. Not of crowds, not of councils, not even of the church, but of Christ. Live so that one day in heaven, you will receive a crown of life. And I'm gonna tell you what, I'm so excited about that. I don't really have a whole lot of hats that can fit this big old head, but I have a feeling that my crown of life maybe just maybe might fit my head. But let me tell you why why I'm so excited about it. Because as soon as I get it, I can't wait to lay it at his feet and to thank him for the life he's given me. And I'm not just talking about here on earth, which I'm so grateful, but life eternal. Live in such a way that you will receive that crown that you can lay at his feet. And long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Can we pray together? As we pray, Believer, we have preached now 10 weeks on biblical boldness. And though we depart for a few weeks to celebrate the birth of our life itself, Jesus, here's what we begin to find. Stephen had no more of Jesus than you have, than I have. Stephen didn't have an extra measure of him. I'm going to tell you something. You have all the Jesus that you'll ever need right now, just as Stephen did. And in this conversation of boldness, here's what we find, church. You ready? Boldness is a choice by every believer. It was Stephen's choice, and it's ours. So let me ask you the question. As we depart for a few weeks from this study, are you ready to live for the standing ovation, not of crowds, not of councils, not of the church, but the applause and the approval of Jesus in your every day. Are you ready to live for a crown of life so that one day you're laid at his feet? Do you long to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant? And are you ready to live your life in such a way to make that a reality? Believer, right now, let me just talk with him. I get 40 minutes of your life every week. For some of you, it's a little too much. But you know what? When I control the floor like I do right now, without your kids messing with you, people calling on you, right now I clear out two minutes for you just to spend time with 
and for you to really consider what it would be for you to choose boldness. If you seek the applause and the approval of others, confess it. And as Stephen did that day, gaze and gaze at Jesus. Don't lose sight of him. And believers, as you have a couple moments with him, I just wonder who might be here. You say, Anthony, you know what? Today's conversation dealt a lot with death. And if I were to be honest with you, I'm a little scared. I'm not certain that I'm his. I'm not certain what would happen to me if I were to die. But if you feel him moving in me, I need him. I need him to save me. I need life that comes only in Christ. If you, I need him today. Hey, if that's you, why not right now? While believers are praying all across the room, why not right now place your faith and trust in him? Cry out to him from your heart. Maybe pray something like this. Dear God, I'm, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Please save me. I place my faith and my trust in you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for rising again. I give you my life. Help me to turn from my sin and myself. Jesus, I am yours. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.